Let's bow together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy towards us, Lord, and that you are so good and so gracious and merciful, having proven and demonstrated that over and over again and having sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. Father, your love is is manifest in in that tremendous, wonderful uh, act of graciousness and mercy. And Father, we thank you that it is through your son Jesus and a relationship uh, through faith in him that we can come before you and praise you and and uh, worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray as we come to your word today that you prepare our hearts and that we would uh, then, after hearing your word, would leave with a a renewed sense of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would be praising and thanking and rejoicing over your tremendous love manifest in him. So we thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, having lived in the West Coast in the Bay Area for 30-so years, and then in the West Coast in Vancouver for 20 years. It's interesting. I never much heard of anyone say the word blessing or bless you except in church. Believers, certainly, you know, praying, Lord bless you, you know, and be be blessed in the Lord. And you would hear that. But I never heard it. And I move here to South Carolina, and you pull in the drive-thru, and they say, God bless you. And, and you, you go to the store, you say, bless you. And you see shirts, you know, blessed, you know, whatever it might be. Now, I'm not saying that uh, anything's different in some ways. There's a cultural reality here with that. You know, I don't know if they're believers or not, but uh, a lot of people say bless you around here. But what does that really mean? What does it mean? Is it cultural or is there something behind that or, or both? The reality is what is truly blessedness? What is blessedness? When we say you're blessed, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? Well, certainly some might think that having, you know, certain things, you know, uh, physical blessings, you know, family blessings, church blessings, those are blessings. And certainly those can be blessings, you know, but what does it mean to actually be blessed? Well, today we'll take a little sidetrack from our study in Nehemiah, but there's some threads that run through and through from both what we've been studying And we're going to turn to Psalm 32. Would you turn with me to Psalm 32? And we're going to see the blessedness of being forgiven, of being forgiven, and what truly being blessed is. Now, uh, we know the Psalms, uh, uh, the term Psalms for us comes from the Greek word psalmoi, but yet the Psalms, uh, the words translated psalm in Hebrew or song all relate to music. They relate to music. And we have, uh, in the Psalms, we have uh, a, a, a book of praise, of inspired praise to God. And they were initially set to music. And as you look at the 150 Psalms that are in there, they are uh, God inspiring the author to praise the Lord. To, 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 and you see the movement from difficulties to calling on the Lord to praising him for what he's done. Uh, they are inspired Psalms of praise. And, and uh, we know within this, that uh, we have a picture of, and in the Old Testament, you have God's direct revelation through the law and the prophets, and then you have in the song, or in the wisdom writings, you have uh, uh, those inspired speaking from man to man, in a sense, you say, like in Proverbs, whatever it might be, and then in the Psalms, you have the inspired response to the law of God back to the Lord, you see. 
And you see that. And so here in the Psalms, uh, we see this, uh, this, this response of, uh, of man to God based on what he has revealed about himself. And so with that in mind, again, turn to Psalm 32, and we're going to see that David instructs sinners in God's way. David instructs sinners in God's way, and we're going to see what true blessedness is. Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a masculine. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in whom, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time in which thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not be, they shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place, and thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. And now, even though this really isn't associated directly with Nehemiah, you can see that it is through what God has done for us, through the sacrifice of his son, which the sacrifice of the Old Testament pointed to, that should cause us to rejoice in his loving kindness, rejoice in who he is and what he's done. And so here we're going to see, first of all, in these first two verses, the real core of this passage, the real, the real core of the principle that reveals what blessedness is when someone is truly blessed. And again, we can be blessed by little things, but what is true blessing when we are blessed in the Lord? What is that? Psalm of David again, a masculine. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, beginning this, we see this is a psalm of David. Now, the term psalm is not in the original Hebrew. It just says of David. And we know David. We know about him, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But uh, this psalm is what's called a masculine. We'll see in a minute what that is. But speaking of David, it says of David. And, and what do we know about him? Well, we know uh, from Scripture that King David was the second king of Israel after Saul. And we know that David was a believer, and yet, like you and I, he was a sinner. He was a sinner. And we know that when Paul was preaching in Pisidian Antioch, he said this about David, uh, inspired by the Spirit, uh, Acts 13:22. and I'll read this for you. And after he, that's speaking of the Lord, had removed him, that's Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
And he says here, from the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So we have David. (coughs) He is a godly man. He is a man after God's own heart, but yet he is a sinner. And we know that. We know from Scripture does not hide David's failures. We know that he fell greatly (coughs) and that he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he tried to cover it up. And within doing that, he caused Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, to be killed in battle. Thus, he is culpable for her death. And he fell into great, great sin, as we'll see. And then we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David concerning his sin. And we know that David confesses, that he repents. He's a real believer. He's a real believer. When confronted about his great sin, David did repent. But yet there were consequences. Indeed, because of God's name being blasphemed, the child that was born from the adulterous relationship would die. And because of what David had done, the sword would never leave his house. And he would be humiliated in public as he had done his sin in private. Uh, He would be humiliated by his wives as they would go to others in the open. Yet David had repented, and we see that in Psalm 51. And so our passage says, of David, and it also says, a masculine. Now, some uh, versions say to contemplate. Um, Indeed, in the New King James, it says a contemplation. Excuse me for a second. And within that, the church has for many years seen this as what's called a penitential psalm, not, a, not the penitentiary, but a penitential psalm, where, where someone is, 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 is being remorseful and, and repentant. And there's certainly that element here. But it's thought that this word masculine really comes from the root word sakal, uh, which means to instruct. We see it later on, sakal down, and it says instruct. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And so it's thought that not a, it's not really a contemplation or a penitential, I can't say it wrong, well, you know what I'm saying, a penitential psalm. It is really a psalm of instruction, a psalm of instruction. Uh, turn to Psalm 51 for a second. Psalm 51. You see, Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm. I'm saying that word wrong, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a psalm in which David is repenting. But within that psalm, notice what he says in verse 12. Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to thee. Make me right with you, and I believe you will. And then I will teach sinners. I will teach transgressors, right? And I believe that that is what is going on here, that this is that teaching, that instruction. I will teach you, instruct you in the way you should go. It's instructing how to confess, to not have a deceitful heart, the blessings of being forgiven, and then the consequences of not uh, truly uh, repenting, as we see, and then the blessings of truly repenting. So then... What does David teach here? Notice verse 1. A psalm of David, a masculine, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's emphatic. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And so these first two verses are about those who are blessed. And within these 
two verses, we have specific description of why they are blessed. A specific description of why they are blessed. And it's because, in a nutshell, they've been forgiven. It's because they've been forgiven. Now, there's some terms we need to understand to grasp this psalm, and uh, we need to see them. There's uh, in, in Hebrew poetry, and it's, it's inspired by the Spirit, but in the Hebrew language, they would use um, repetition or, or parallelism to strengthen a concept. Say one thing uh, two different ways to strengthen that concept. And here we have three different words, really, for sin. We have uh, the verse, verse 1, transgression, and then the word sin in verse 1. Then in verse 2, we have iniquity. And so we have these three words speaking about those who have been forgiven, uh, their sins covered, right? Their iniquities trans, uh, forgiven, uh, their sin forgiven. We have these three words. Now, uh, in general, they speak of sin. And that's really the point. But there are some specific nuances to them that would be good for us to understand. First of all, the, the word transgression speaks of uh, a separation or departure. A separation or departure. Uh, it, and it really does carry thus the idea of rebellion. If I transgress something, it's something that I should be aware of, and I'm going past that. If I transgress the speed limit, I'm really rebelling against that speed limit. I don't agree with it. I want to go faster, right? I am in rebellion. I am transgressing. I'm going past it, right? I'm chastising. Now, with God's word, when we transgress, we're going beyond his word. We're, 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 we're not doing what he said. We're, we're transgressing. Uh, we're rebelling. We're rebelling. Um, and there's that personal element of rebelling. When we cross the line, we rebel, right? And then there's the word, the Hebrew term translated sin. And this word in its basic meaning speaks of falling short, missing the mark. Okay, we know that all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All have sinned. We all don't make the mark. God has a standard and we miss the mark. That's sin. That's sin. And then we have this last word, iniquity, which has the sense of twisting or perversion in it. It's distortion. We should be walking in a straight way, in a righteous way, but we walk in a way that is twisted or perverted. That's, that's this word, iniquity. That's this word, iniquity. And so we have three uh, words that are in contrast to God's righteous standards, and thus we have a better view of sin. Better view of sin. So with that in mind, now we're going to see three other terms in relationship to God's forgiveness, and we'll look at those in a minute, three other terms that relate to that. So notice in this wonderful passage, we have the reality that our sins are forgiven. He begins, how blessed is the man whose transgression, that's rebellion, is forgiven, whose uh, sin, that's missing the mark, is covered. Uh, How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute uh, iniquity, his twisted ways, his twisted ways. You think about that. You think about our rebellion. You think about our missing the mark. You think about our perverted ways at times and how blessed is the man in whom he does not impute these things and does not co- he does and he covers sin, right? He doesn't impute iniquity, covers sin. We'll see those things in a moment. Now, this term blessedness, you know, speaks of happiness. It speaks of happiness. There's a joy. Now, it's not like the world. The world has happiness based on pleasure and self-fulfillment. And when that's working out, uh, people in the world are happy. When it's not working out, they're not happy, okay? And so, but yet in Christ, um, there is something different. Happiness, yes, we can be happy, but blessedness is different because it is that which is tied to a right relationship with the Lord. 
Indeed, this word that speaks of blessedness here, and when it's translated in the Old Testament, uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Greek, it's translated the same word that's used in Matthew. Blessed are the, right? The Lord shares. How, oh, how happy are those who are this, right? We see that. And so here, it's not tied to circumstances. Certainly, we saw that in the book of Matthew. Uh, the Lord Jesus says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, those who people say all kinds of evil falsely on account of me. Well, that doesn't sound like a blessing to be persecuted, but he's saying you are blessed if this is happening to you. It is an evidence, as we see in context of Matthew, that you're really his. And so you are blessed. It's an evidence you are the Lord's, and that's where the blessing comes in, the relationship with the living God. And let me share some passages. You can write them down, or I'm going to go through them, certainly, and if you want to go with me, that's fine, but I'm going to write them down. We'll start in Psalm 1, Psalm 1. And you know this one as I go there. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, in his law he meditates day and night. You're blessed if your heart's on God's word rather than you're being immersed in sin, right? If you're sinning it up, you're not blessed. If you are immersed in God's word, you are blessed. You are blessed. Now we're going to see that it's because of our relationship with the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You're blessed if you take refuge in the Lord. The Lord is your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You have a relationship with him. And when difficulties come, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, whatever it might be, they come and flood your way. You turn to the Lord. You take refuge in him. Physical illnesses, whatever it might be, they come your way. You take refuge in the Lord. You are blessed. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. We know that we're blessed when we persevere. I mentioned this from Matthew, but uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been demonstrated or approved, uh, it says he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Wonderful. Psalm 94, verse 12. Blessed is the man whom thou dost chasten. You could translate this way. Blessed is the man whom thou dost spank, Right? You are blessed if God spanks you. That means you have a real relationship with him. You are a genuine child and he loves you. And he is trying to root out sin so that you you can have an even closer relationship with him, right? You are blessed, right? And he says here, uh, Psalm 84, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in thee. There's a song. We sing songs that, O blessed Lord, who trusts in thee. The, the man who trusts me. If you trust in the Lord, if you don't lean in your own understanding, if you don't trust in your own skills and abilities, you don't trust in mankind or man's strength, if you trust in the Lord, you are blessed. You are blessed. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. That's a reverent fear of the Lord. That's recognizing he's God. He's a holy God. And when I sin, I sin against him. I sin against others. There's an awareness. There's a fear. There's a godly reverence. You're blessed if you do so. Psalm 119, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They want to obey his word. They seek the Lord with their entire heart, not his divided heart. Psalm 128, verse 1, the song of ascents. How blessed is everyone who fears the, Lord's and, fears the Lord and walks in his ways. 
When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. You're blessed. You fear the Lord. You walk with the Lord. You walk with the Lord. You're, you're, you're blessed. Proverbs 26, or excuse me, 28, 14. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And I've mentioned this passage before, but you know, there's always those who try to uh, say something spiritual around pastors or around people to kind of get approval from the crowd. You know, they'll come up, say something spiritual to kind of get people to look to them and how spiritual they are. Well, you have one of those things happening uh, in Luke chapter 11. And you have it. It, can, it came about, verse 27, when he said these things. One of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you in the breast to which you nursed. She's doing the old, you're blessed because of this, right? Well, notice what the Lord says. But he said, on the contrary, here's who's blessed. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. If you hear God's word, you have a relationship with him, you hear his voice, right? You hear him because you have his spirit and you obey, you are blessed. You are blessed. So then in scripture, we see blessedness or happiness for a, for, for a true blessedness or happiness is not tied to circumstance but is intricately tied to a right relationship with the living God where we trust him, we fear him, we, we have his word running in our hearts and we obey him. That's who is blessed. You see a t-shirt, first says blessed. Hopefully that's what's going on, right? And now we're going to see it goes even far beyond that into what God has done for, for us. So then we have this right relationship as a core foundation of blessedness, the right relationship with the Lord. But how do we have this? How does one enter into a right relationship with the Lord? How is one actually blessed? Well, we know that God is holy. God is righteous, and he is a righteous judge, and he has indignation every day. You think about an earthly judge. If there's some horrible uh, murderer, or some school shooter, or some uh, uh, horrible uh, molester, whatever it might be, and they're before the judge, and the judge says, Oh, you're go free. That's not a righteous judge at all. A righteous judge gives the offender the sentence that is due to the crime, that is equal to the crime. And for us, the wages of sin is death. And we know that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And God is a righteous judge. We deserve his judgment. We deserve it. Isaiah 59, verse 1, the Lord had made a covenant with Israel. And yet Israel hadn't come to faith by and large the nation in their Lord. He was he was their God, but he wasn't they he was their God, but they weren't his you understand what I mean, they didn't believe. And so in Isaiah fifty nine verse one it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor his ear that is so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's sin. Sin is in the way. But God is gracious, and ever since the beginning of mankind, in the first sin, God had a plan to bring salvation to mankind. You see, ever since man first sinned, he had a plan to bring back a relationship of blessedness. You see, when the Lord created everything, it was good. And man, Adam and Eve were blessed. They were blessed, but then they sinned. But God had a plan to bring blessing back. 
Back in Genesis, after they sinned, God declared that Eve's seed in her seed, that would, her seed would crush Satan's head. Genesis 3. And that through Eve's human seed would come one who would defeat Satan and death. And we see uh, the gospel was proclaimed uh, uh, preached in the promises to Abraham that through his seed, one would come in which all the nations would be what? Blessed. Blessed, okay? And we know that the Old Testament law given to Israel was a shadow of the sacrifices needed. There needed to be death for sin, to have sin covered, atoned for, and it pointed to the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know he, speaking of the Father, made him, speaking of the Son, who knew no sin, because he was sinless and spotless, uh, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God took on human flesh. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we turn to him for salvation. That's repentance. We turn from our sin to Jesus Christ, acknowledging our sin, believing in him. Uh, then we are forgiven. We are justified. We are declared righteous. Our sins having been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're redeemed. And so then, like for instance, notice you know, back in our passage in Psalm 32, look down to verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. You're righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. You're righteous. You're righteous. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. You've been redeemed. So then we're going to see we are righteous because we have been forgiven. Now the Apostle Paul quotes this very same passage in Romans chapter 4. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll start with verse 4 in Romans chapter 4. And Paul is making the point that we're not saved by our works, and Abraham wasn't saved by his works, that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as favor, but what is due. You do a job, you get paid for it, right? That's because you did something, right? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. When you do not work for your salvation, but you believe that Jesus Christ did it all, and you trust in him, you believe in him, your faith is reckoned as righteous. You are reckoned as righteous. Just as David, and here's our passage, also speaks of the blessing upon the the man to whom the Lord reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sin has been covered. Blessed is the man in whom whose sin the Lord will not take into account. You see, you are justified. You're declared righteous because God took care of your sins through Jesus Christ. And so we have in our passage, back in our passage, uh, how blessed, it's emphatic, is he whose transgression is forgiven. That's a tremendous statement. The term in Hebrew for forgiven means to lift or carry away. To lift or carry away. To take away. When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins were carried away. They were taken care of by Jesus Christ. They were placed upon him, and he died for our sins. We read this in Psalm 103 earlier in our service. The Lord is compassionate, verse 8, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. 
He will not only strive, always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and that's infinite, by the way, that example, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Tremendous. Tremendous. Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgression. Isn't that great? Isaiah 43:25. For my own sake and will not remember your sins. Oh, man, we've got to stop remembering other people's sins, by the way, and be like the Lord, right? Not take into account a wrong suffered. God is so gracious. He is not bringing up our sin every day. He wants us to become like his son, Jesus Christ. And it's in the context of blessed relationship with him and love that we step forward and trust and obey him and confess our sins. For his own sake, and I will not I will remember them no more. Isn't that great? That is wonderful. If you know how much you've sinned, which I do, you go, wow, thank you so much, Lord God. We praise him for it. Micah 7, Micah 7, verse 18. If you can find it, turn to Micah 7, 18 to get towards the end of the Old Testament. Like really close. Micah 7. And you know, we're going to see in Nehemiah that these people are running through their head what God has done for them. And they're praising him. And they're thanking him. And they're praising and thanking and singing and rejoicing, rejoicing. It brings joy. It brings joy. Micah 7, verse 18. Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You're blessed if your sins are forgiven. You're so blessed. We are so blessed. You think of that. I'm blessed. I'm blessed because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, I can be blessed in a lot of other little ways along the way that God has done things for us. We don't reject that either. We, we know he's blessed us in those things. But ultimately, we are blessed because of what he's done. Some New Testament passages that give us uh, an understanding of our forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Isn't that great? It's through the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven. Colossians 1, 13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption. That means the price paid. And then he says, the forgiveness of sins. Tremendous. Hebrews 10:16. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their heart and upon their mind I'll write it. And he says, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Amen. Amen. That is so wonderful. So wonderful. And the apostle Paul, uh, or excuse me, Peter, when he first preached the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts 10, uh, he shares in the very end of that, he says, and he has ordered us to preach. This is Acts 10, uh, 42. He orders to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one, that's speaking of Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of, the, all, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You can have forgiveness of sins today if you believe that God sent his son. 
and that his son took on human flesh, fully God, fully man, God the Son, and that he lived the perfect life and that he went to the cross and he bore your sins on the cross and he died for your sins and rose from the dead. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have forgiveness of sins. Tremendous, wonderful reality. Now, along with this forgiveness of sins, we have uh, the removal of guilt. By the way, when we do things wrong, now we can be hardened, we can be seared in our consciences, but at one time we had guilt. When we did things wrong, we had guilt in our conscience. We knew it was wrong. And uh, when we believe in Jesus, the guilt is removed. The guilt is removed. Uh, look down in verse 5 of our passage back in Psalm 32. I acknowledge my sin to thee and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Certainly being guilty, but there's guilt that goes with that, right? Tremendous, wonderful, wonderful. We are forgiven. How blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven? Let me ask you this. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? If your transgressions have been forgiven, yes, you are. And you are greatly blessed. How blessed. Then notice he says and speaks of this blessing in a different way. Whose sin is covered. Back in verse 1, whose sin is covered. The term covered means covered. Okay? It means to cover, right? When we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, calling upon him, our sins are covered by his blood. And now this term also kind of carried the sense of covering something that was foul, a foul thing, you know, and that's our sin, right? Our sin is covered. A merciful veil is placed over our sin through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It is covered. It is covered. And then look at verse 2. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So you have forgiveness. The sin is taken away. You have it being covered. It's no longer stinky foul, right? It's covered by the blood of Christ. It's been taken care of, right? And then you have here, as we see here, the one who the Lord does not impute iniquity. You see, apart from the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, for those of you who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, God is righteously accounting every word and deed. He is righteously accounting them. He is a righteous judge who will bring forth judgment for every word and deed. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 34. Now, the Pharisees were wicked on the inside, but they had a veneer, and they would say things that appeared to be uh, religious and good, uh, but the Lord's going to unveil them, and he's going to unveil them and say, hey, ultimately your words are going to match your heart. So he says here in Matthew twelve thirty four, you brood of vipers, or you offspring of venomous snakes, speaking to those hypocrites, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I say to you that every careless word that man shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, by your words you shall be condemned. Every careless word, every word you're going to be judged for. 
And I am so thankful my sin's covered. I am so thankful. Um, Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 3. And do you not suppose, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and you do the same yourself that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? This is Romans 2. Uh, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. We speak into Jews who had not come to faith in Jesus. But by because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Words and deeds. It is appointed man once to die and then to judgment. Hebrews 9.27. Acts 17, therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There is judgment for sin. And if your sins are not forgiven, you, God will impute your iniquity to you. You will be, you will be reckoned to you. You will be accountable for every word and deed. That's what that word impute means. He says, how blessed is the man whom, whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word means to reckon or account. It goes on your slate. You got to pay the price. And guess what the price is? The wages of sin is death. And ultimately there's the second death, which is the lake of fire, which is prepared for the devil's angels. Friends, you are either blessed or not blessed based on whether you've trusted in Jesus Christ or not. If you've had your sins forgiven, you are blessed. If you haven't, you are on your way to judgment. But God is gracious and he calls out to everyone to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is open to all. So back to our passage. He says here, how blessed is the man whose transgression forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Then notice this little word. It's very important. This little phrase. In whose, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now we're going to see in a moment that he's speaking of the way you have confessed or not. See, there are some who would say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. And I've confessed my sin. I've trusted in him. But they didn't really confess their sin. They got a deceitful confessing of sin. They got a lot of excuses. There's not a just open acknowledgement of sin. There's excuses. There's deceitfulness. There's cover-up rather than an open confessing. And so he's saying the blessed man is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. And he's going to give himself as an example of being deceitful, but then confessing it completely. That will help us. He says here, when I kept silent about my sin, verse 3. Now, it, it's, it's really important that we notice this, that in the, in the original Hebrew, there's a for here. For, when, or because, when I kept silent. Now, the uh, NESB doesn't translate that. I, I, that needs to be translated. The ESV does, for its credit, says for. So, in whose spirit there is no deceit, for, and he's going to give an example, because, and here's this example, when he kept silent about his sin, his example is, I was being deceitful. I was fooling myself, deceiving myself, deceiving others in my, uh, in my heart. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through, through my groaning all day long. For night and day thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away uh, as with the fever 
the fever heat of summer, say la. So David is acknowledging that before he confessed his sin, uh, God's heavy disciplinary hand was upon him, in effect, because he was being deceitful about his sin. He was being deceitful. He says the one that's blessed is the one that's forgiven. There's no deceit. Because when I did this, this is what was going on. That's what he's saying, basically. What he's saying. You know, when you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I, I did this, but, you know, I'm really wired this way. This is the way he made me. This is my, from my past. Well, it's because of what's going on around me I, I'm doing this. It's when you have a because or a reason why, rather than just humble yourself saying, I, I blew it. I couldn't help myself. I blew it. It was me. I, I sinned completely. Whatever it was. Now, not helping yourself. You're admitting you didn't. You did it, okay? You did it. A lot of people have excuses, and this world is centered around excuses. I mean, there's an excuse or, or there's, a, there's a medical name or excuse for all kinds of stuff, right? Basically, it's, 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 everything is not one's own responsibility. But the reality is we are responsible for our words and deeds, and everyone will be accounted to, and, and God will impute those to us if we have not been forgiven. You know, for us believers, now David's a believer, and he's given us a believer's example, but he's going to talk about the consequences for those who don't believe. Don't give excuses. Just confess it and be forgiven. Don't give excuses. Oh, I was tired of that. We know you're tired, God. No temptation has come upon man except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. It's common. When you say, I, my temptation, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what happened to me when I was there. You don't know what my what my parents were like. You don't know what uh, what my relationship was like with my family. We don't know. That's just excuses. You're being deceitful in your mind. You're deceiving yourself. You've actually got deceit in your heart. You're actually not confessing at all. You're, you're deceiving yourself and maybe even others that you are forgiven when you're not. If you've got excuses, if you've got excuses, when you keep silent about your sin, you don't ex- you don't acknowledge it. Uh, if you're a believer now, notice there is going to be God's heavy hand of discipline on you. If you're a true believer, God's going to lay it down on you, okay? And if you've got sin, and God will even lay it down to the point where he will, for his name's sake, bring someone, discipline them to death. You go, wait a second. Uh, look at the example of the Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. This was pretty serious sin, by the way. This was sin that was visible to everyone. They were having time of communion, and they were basically making it a drunken party. Okay? And basically, God was disciplining them. And he disciplined some to the point of death. Look at this in, in, ver, in 1 Corinthians 11. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat. Chapter, 1 Corinthians 11:28. Let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Okay, if you... If you're taking communion and you don't acknowledge your sin, it's a big problem. He says, for this reason, many among you are weak. That means physically sick and sick and a number sleep. That means dead. It means dead. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we shall not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Lord will bring his disciplinary hand upon you, even to the point here we see to death, if you don't respond, if you don't respond. And that's so that you would not be condemned in judgment with the world. You see? So then, 
are you deceiving yourself? Uh, maybe you're suffering physically. I'm not saying all physical suffering means that uh, you are sinning. We know that with Job, right? And we're not to be pointing around at looking at anyone. Oh, they're sick, or this has happened to them, or they got in this accident, this or that. They're, they got cancer, or oh, they're sinning. No, don't you ever do that. God is the judge. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. And if you are physically sick, physically suffering, maybe God is disciplining you because he loves you. Maybe. You, you, you can understand. You can know that if you go to him. You'll know. You know if you're sinning, I believe so. So then he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. David is saying, I realize now what was going on. You were on your hand was on me the whole time. I, I was being disciplined. I was wasting away because I didn't acknowledge my sin. And some of you might have not acknowledged sin. You haven't confessed it. And God is allowing his hand to be on you hard. Just acknowledge it. Confess it. He'll, he'll forgive you. And he'll restore that joy of your salvation. And maybe you will teach sinners to confess also without deceit. So then, he kept silent. Now this word kept silent has this, has this, has this, this nuance in the Hebrew of, of conniving. Of conniving and, and kind of planning and plotting. There was a, a, there was a plotting behind that silence. There was a conniving behind that. And so when we give excuses for sin, at its very core, it is deceitful. It's deceitful. We are deceiving ourselves. We're being deceitful. Just confess your sin completely, completely. We know from Proverbs that uh, the Lord says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, nor love his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. God disciplines those whom he loves, and he was disciplining David heavily. And David got it. When Nathan came to him and said, David, you're the man, he responded, and he did confess. We see that in Psalm 51, and we'll see it in our passage. So he says, hey, your hand was heavy. My vitality was drained away. That's what the fever heat of summer, Selah. In Hebrew, that means lift up. Stop the instruments. Think about it. Think about it. And notice, uh, we have his confession. Then we have his personal, or his, his, his deceitfulness, but then we have his confession. Notice that. Verse, uh, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. Kind of interesting. We think we can hide it from God. Doesn't You can't do that, right? We're deceiving ourselves, right? You think you can give excuses and hide it? No. He said, I acknowledged it. I didn't hide it. I just was, came, came clean. We have that terminology. A key came clean, right? He just, just came clean. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Think about it. Isn't that great? He came clean. No deceit. When he was being deceitful, the man who's in his spirit was deceit. He was suffering God's heavy hand. When he came clean, he's forgiven forgiven. What a wonderful, wonderful statement. My iniquity I did not hide. Are you hiding any iniquity? Are you giving excuses, not confessing? If you're a believer, God's going to discipline you for your good. He loves you. But when you come clean, he forgives you. And there's joy in that. There's a blessing. There's blessing. Proverbs 28:13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. 
Are you ready to say, I'll confess my sin to the Lord today? Are you ready to do it? I'll confess it. No excuses. Lord, I've had these attitudes. I've been angry. I've been, I've, whatever it might be. Lord, I've been lustful. I've been, I've been greedy. I've been sinful. Lord, confess it. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. No excuses. No, no excuses, uh, at all. Zero. Just confess. I acknowledge my sin to thee and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and thou dost forgive the guilt of my sin. Selah. Stop the music. Think about it. Isn't that great? You see, the forgiveness of sins is assured, my friend. When you honestly acknowledge them, don't try to cover them up. Don't try to give excuses. You come to the Lord and you acknowledge them. It is forgiven. It is forgiven. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Are you deceiving yourself and God? Come clean and be forgiven. Be forgiven. And God will remove that heavy hand of discipline. You may have consequences, but he'll remove that heavy hand because his work is working. It's got you to see it and you need to see it. Admit it and come clean. Now notice, David now begins to instruct others. He begins to, to move towards that direction. Look at this in verse, in, in verse uh, 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Therefore, in light of God's great forgiveness, it's simplified by David's confession of sin after God's heavy hand was upon him, right? He now exhorts everyone to now to pray. That's how we confess, right? We go to the Lord in prayer, don't we? He says to pray when thou, at a time when thou mayest be found. That's implying, uh, and this passage is initially to the godly. David is talking to believers initially, right? But we'll see that it applies to non-believers too. It implies there's a window that God opens for you to confess. There's a time. Don't harden your heart if you hear his voice. Don't harden your heart today if you've got unconfessed sin. Come clean. In a time when thou mayest be found. David was convicted when Nathan came to him. At the right time he responded. If David would have rejected that, that may have been evidence that maybe David wasn't who David thought he was. Maybe he was, but David was a true believer and he did respond. He did respond. The implication is that you can harden yourself through the deceitfulness of sin if you don't respond when God is convicting you. Confess. Confess. And then notice the implication. Uh, and this, this applies to, to non-believers too. I mean, if God is, you seek the Lord while he may be found, right? Isaiah 55. If you reject that, you're, you're, you're going to go to judgment. Uh, notice the implication at the end of verse 6. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. The flood of great waters is judgment. Seek him while he can be found. Confess now while you have the chance. 
And then notice he says and expands in verse 7, Thou art my hiding place, thou dost preserve me from trouble, thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. And, you know, a lot of people want to make hiding place about a hiding place, you know, um, and that's fine, but this is really speaking about the refuge that God gives from salvation, or from in the forgiveness of sins. The refuge God gives when you're forgiven. That's where we go. We go to him. He's our hiding place, and he protects us, preserves us from trouble. That us surround us with songs of deliverance. That's from sin, by the way. Songs of deliverance. There is a fountain at Calvary, amazing grace. I will sing of my Redeemer, right? you got songs going through your heart because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And this moves him to come to the instruction portion where he's going to instruct. Notice what he says here in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now, some have said this is David saying this, but no, this is God saying this through David. At this point, God is now instructing us through David. We see here, I will instruct you, I will teach you in the way which you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's God telling us that, right? That's God. For the one who is confessing sin, walking in the context of blessed forgiveness, God makes this promise. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you, or that's advise you, with my eye upon you. You confess sin, you walk with the Lord, the Lord's going to instruct you, he's going to teach you. He's going to counsel you. His eye upon you. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. Instruct us in the way that we should go. And then we have this warning. We have a warning. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include the bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. He's using the illustration of a horse or a mule that doesn't have understanding, and they need a bit or a bridle to hold them, to, to physically control them externally, right? They need that external control because they have no internal understanding. And it is a warning, don't be like this. Because then instead of having God instructing you from the inside, you're going to be controlled from the outside, right? Not a good thing. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. And notice what he says, verse 10, many, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Those who are still in their sins, the wicked, they got all kinds of sorrow. It's piling up. But in contrast, the one who listens to God's word, who trusts in him, who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Here, the one who confesses his sin in context, trusts the Lord, uh, his God's loving kindness, his compassion, his loyal love encompasses you. Isn't that great? It's great. It's wonderful. So you have a choice. Sorrow or blessing. You really do. For believers, that's on a mini scale. We do. We can walk in the context of his blessing or we can just walk in sorrow and difficulty and spankings and pain and discipline. Or we can walk in blessing, forgiveness of sins. Keep confessing when you fail. Keep walking with the Lord and walk in his blessing. You have a choice. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. And King Asa, back in Second Chronicles, uh, the Lord had helped him and he trusted him, and then he didn't trust the Lord. And the Lord reproves him. 
You didn't trust me, and here's what, here's what happened, and here's what would have happened if you trusted me. Listen to this. Second Chronicles chapter 16, and he said here, We're not the Ethiopians, verse, verse 8, and the Lubin, an immense army with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Hey, when you trusted him, he delivered them, right? For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro that he may throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. If you don't have deceit in your heart, you're not trying to fool yourself and God about your sin, you're open and honest about it, you're confessing it, no excuses. Don't blame other people. Don't blame your, your don't blame the way you are or whatever it is. No excuses. God encamps around you and supports you. Supports you. His loving kindness will surround you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. And then we have this, this wonderful uh, final exhortation, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, you righteous ones. You see, we are righteous because of Christ. We are forgiven, and we ought to be thanking God so much for the forgiveness of sins. You know, when you've been forgiven much, you're going you're to rejoice much. You realize what God has forgiven you of. And so David brings us around. We're to shout to joy, for you are upright at heart. Uh, we need to be praising, and we see this like I shared in Nehemiah. They're rejoicing. They're rejoicing over the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus Christ. So then, we are the blessed, those who are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You know, I started out talking about how the culture here on the East Coast in South Carolina is, is kind of a Bible culture. A lot of, you know, you, you go to the, the fast food and they say, have a blessed day, you know, whatever it might do be. And I think some generally do know the Lord. But why do we hear those words? Because... Blessing comes from a relationship with the living God. And if you are truly blessed, it is because you have truly trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you have been forgiven. How blessed, right, is the man whose transgressions have been covered, who has been forgiven, right? And the Lord does not impute iniquity. Are you blessed? On what basis are you blessed? Can you say, I'm blessed? I pray it's because you've trusted in Jesus Christ and he has forgiven you of all your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness, your mercy, your faithfulness, your goodness. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. Thank you that in him we have forgiveness of sins, that you remember them no more, that you placed them as far as the east as the west, that they're covered the, the foul stench of our wickedness and sin is eternally covered, and we praise you for that. And Lord, help us not to be on a small scale deceitful about sin. Help us to confess openly and quickly, Lord God, when we do sin. And Father, I pray for anyone who is not blessed, who still is in their sins, who has deceived themselves uh, in their confession. They really never truly fully confess that they would do so now. And they would call upon your son, Jesus, Lord Jesus, save me. And I thank you that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Lord, thank you so much for what we've seen today. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.